Hello there and thank you for downloading this Starting Up podcast from the 25th of October. And on the programme today, I was joined in the studio by George Hojaj, the CEO of VirtuZone, as we put the focus on charitable startups making their mark both here and abroad. Joining us on the programme was Jennifer Salt, the founder of Thrift for Good, which has two charity shops in Dubai selling unwanted clothing and other items for charity. We also caught up with Sarah Brooke from the Sparkle Foundation. Now, she's the CEO and founder of that charity, which is dedicated to helping communities in Malawi. Meanwhile, our starting up success story was Peter Heredia. He's the managing director of Max Sales Solutions, which has been running for 14 years. Plus, George Hojage took all your questions in the company clinic, including what is the cheapest way to set up a company? You're listening to Starting Up on the Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. With VirtuZone, business set up with no regrets. Hello there. Good morning. It is 11.06. Welcome back to the programme and welcome to Starting Up, our special segment that we host every single week that is devoted to business owners and prospective entrepreneurs. And for the next hour or so, we will be focusing on tips and hints and inspirational stories on the best way in which you can set up your own business. Or maybe you've got a a nascent idea just waiting to come out. This is your chance uh, to find out more about what it's like to be an entrepreneur in the Emirates and also how to become an entrepreneur, how to actually set up your business, which free zone is the best place to do it and help us uh, on that route. Uh, I'm joined in the studio by George Hojage, the CEO of VirtuZone. Sir, how are you? Where have you been? Georgia, I've missed you. It's been a long, long time, George. It has been indeed. It has been indeed with summer that's come and gone and we've been very, very busy, to be honest, uh, Georgia. Dubai has done another fantastic job this year. Uh, People are just moving in herds. It's crazy. And... um, you know, unlike what we used to see in the past, it's not transient anymore. So people are coming with their families, they're coming, they're bringing their, their, their money over, they're buying houses, they're sending their kids to school. So we've been extremely busy at VirtuZone and, and we're very grateful for that. But yeah, I mean, Dubai is, is really the center of the world at the moment, isn't it? It really is. It, it's booming. It feels like that. We have, um, every week we do a special segment called Property Today with Mohanad Awadir, the wolf of real estate. A friend of the VirtuZone. A friend of VirtuZone. Yeah. He only might not have mentioned it yesterday. Yeah. Uh, he said exactly the same thing. And we were looking at the stats for this uh, third quarter and guess which nationality has bought the most property in the last quarter. Uh, I would say the Russians. You're obviously. quite right. They've leapfrogged everybody else. Actually, I read it yesterday. And you know, yeah. the Canadians are in the top 10. You know, I'm Canadian as That's well. That's interesting. Yeah, the Canadians are in top. The Lebanese are in the top 10 as well. Oh, so both I my see. nationality is representing. Thank you very much. It's the takeover. Yeah. It's the takeover. We yeah. approve of this. I the French it. are in the top five. French are in the top five yes, as well. Yes, 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 yes. I think the Brits have the Brits slipped. Are, yeah, the Brits are second now. They're second oh, behind the second? Russians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the Indians. And then of the course. Indians, obviously. And then uh, I can't remember who fourth was, but uh, yeah, lots of Europeans in there. People are coming. Um, you know, it's becoming Italians. It's Italians as well. You're right. It is the Italians. It's the Italians. Good memory. You know, have, have you been have you been experiencing a bit of memory loss lately? Short term memory loss. Uh, well, I'm I'm you know I'm 43, so I'm always on the lookout for that. Well, you're younger than me. Fog. You are. Well, I'll tell you what it is. I spoke to I spoke to a, uh, actually, oddly enough, a, a neurologist about this because I was worried. I thought it had to do something with COVID or something like that. It is actually a quantity of information that we're exposed to. So you're on your phone, you're scrolling, and your brain works a bit like a computer. So short-term memory is limited. So whatever you're whatever you're taking in as new information, you're erasing something behind it, or you're putting it in the back of your head if you want, or so to speak. That- 
that is uh, very reassuring, oddly enough, yeah. because I have been known to forget the most obvious appointments. Yeah. Even when I set alarms for myself, I'm like, the alarm's going off for a reason, but yeah, I yeah. don't know what it is. You know, I just had a conversation with a gentleman. I said, listen, we spoke last week. We're supposed to have lunch this week, and it's not on my agenda. I have no recollection whatsoever of what day we decided to have lunch on. So it was worrying me. I'm a bit less worried, but I'll tell you one thing. I'll, I'll try to be exposed less to my phone and to social media and these things, because I think it's really starting to affect us. I think that's probably what we need to do. I've been trying to read more literature rather mm. than yeah. uh, read on my phone. Yeah. Also, so the children see me reading a book rather than just constantly on my phone. Yeah, that's that would important be, as well. That would be the main idea. Now, coming up, we are going to be joined by our guest, uh, who is the CEO and founder of a charity dedicated to helping communities in Malawi. And that is our focus for the, uh, the programme today, for starting up today. We are looking at charity startups who are making their mark, not just in the UAE, but also abroad. We're going to be joined in the next few minutes by Sarah Brooke from the Sparkle Foundation. Now, she's actually, and I'm going to be with full frank disclosure here, she's actually having some trouble parking downstairs right now. So she's a little bit late. So we're going to go straight to One Direction, What Makes You Beautiful, which will give us more time to talk to Sarah in just a few minutes' time. Uh, but yeah, if you've got any questions in the interim for George, please do get in touch. Uh, the, the, the company clinic that we host in about half an hour is your opportunity to ask him literally anything you want about starting up your own business. George has been in the industry for 10, 15 years? Yes. So there isn't, I mean, he literally knows everything there is to know. You're listening to Starting Up on the Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Virtue Zone, business set up with no regrets. Welcome back. You are listening, of course, to Starting Up, and we are going to be discussing uh, charity startups who are making their mark, not just in the UAE, but also abroad. That's our theme for the programme today. And I'm delighted to say uh, that we are joined in the studio by Jennifer Salt, who is the founder of Thrift for Good, which is based uh, right here in Dubai. Jennifer, welcome to the programme. Lovely to have you join us. Happy to be here. Thank you. A real pleasure to have you with us. Now, tell Tell me, how long ago did you set up Thrift for Good? Yes, so we opened our first store about two years ago on the Palm Jumeirah and our second store a year ago. But the journey started a few years before that, informally doing flea markets to sell this pre-loved clothing. Amazing. And so, uh, George, I'm going to throw to you now because you're the startup genius on these questions. Uh, So are you, have you, uh, I mean, I suppose we want to ask Jennifer, inspirational Yes, absolutely. I mean, first of all, first of all, it's worth noting that it's not easy to start a charity uh, in Dubai. It's quite regulated, actually, and ah. it's to, and it's to protect it's to protect people from fraud and so on. So, uh, so yeah. So, congrats on at least setting it up, and now that's been running for two years. That's great. Um, so, yeah. So, you have to be careful. That's that's one one thing that's good to, to point out. You have to be careful if you're starting a charity. Uh, come to us. We'll tell you how to do it. You have to apply for a lot of things and get approval. So, well done on doing that, Jennifer. Did you find it tricky as a consequence? So we're very lucky. We donate 100% of our profits to Golf for Good, which is an established local nonprofit organization that's been in the region for 20 years. So they help us with the fundraising approvals, the volunteer approvals, everything we need to be okay. So so, so tell us a bit. Tell us a bit about the the good deeds that come that come out out of you. What you're doing. What 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 are, what is the end? You know, we often we often uh, donate funds to a lot of charities and to a lot of a lot of organisms and things like that. Um, we never know. 
or rarely do we know where those funds end up. So concretely mm-hmm. speaking, or, or, or in, in practice, where do the funds that you're raising end up to you? I mean, obviously, you know, but maybe you can share that with us because these are the really the, the feel-good stories. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually a very exciting time for us because we just reached one of our goals for one of our charity projects with the Sparkle Foundation, which runs two schools in Malawi. We just fundraised 325,000 dirhams for them. Oh, wow. So they can buy farmland to sustainably feed their kids and sell the extra food uh, for sustainable revenues for the foundation. Um, but our mission, it's its really twofold. We rehome pre-loved items to reduce waste and raise money for the kids. The kids, it's a great story to celebrate. We get to go see those projects and it's a lot of fun, but also on the waste reduction side, the amount of clothing that goes to waste here in the UAE it's fantastic that we can offer a solution that competes with fast fashion and really, really helps the environment as well. And where's the shop? Is there a show? Is there a physical shop or is it yeah. where is it? We have two shops. One is on the Palm Jumeirah and the Golden Mile Galleria Building 8, Okay. Uh, right underground there. And the other is in Times Square Center on the first floor. And what kind of items are you selling in those shops? Is it is it clothes only? Is it Do you have home items, homeware? What, what kind of items can we find there? So uh, clothing, it's fashion essentially. So clothing, shoes, bags, accessories, jewelry. We also have great partnerships with Think Up Cycle, for example, so people can clear out their home decor and furniture to them, and they give us a commission. Um, and we're doing our best to expand. But for now, it's clothing. If something doesn't sell for a time, I'm always intrigued about this on charity, charity shops. Where does it go? Yeah, so we've got a great system. We only put the perfect quality stuff in store. And we work really hard to make, you know, to repair, to stain treat, to make it perfect quality. If it's not perfect quality, it's not going to sell. Then we take it to flea market and we discount clear it. And we have a great partnership with Kizwa, who is part of their CSR programming. They give us two dirhams per kg for our end-of-life materials or the stuff that doesn't sell, and they recycle it into furniture in Turkey. So we're proud we have a zero-waste solution. Well, it seems like you have a lot of a lot of partnerships out there. That's great. Jennifer, if, I, if you had to identify the best moment of this journey so far, what, mm. what, well, I mean, I know it's a difficult question, but what moment would that be? <laughs> yeah, that's a tricky question. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you two very short answers, sure. if it's okay. That works. Um, so Thrift for Good, it's been growing. The need for it here is it's so much, the amount of clothing that's here and the need for those kids. So I'd say a defining moment was when we opened our first store. And we had all of these wonderful volunteers going above and beyond, really committing. And it was such a proud moment where we got to celebrate that success. Yeah. And um, also, I like to go visit our children's charity projects. I like to go see the impact that our funding has had. And I've had a few examples of that, which is really great. Um, I can speak to Malawi because we just raised for that goal. And I was just there in April uh, with the great group from Golf for Good. And it was really touching to see the children, to hear the stories, to know that this money is really going to change their lives. Great. So what's uh, fantastic is actually in the next few minutes, we're going to be uh, joined by Sarah Brooke from the Sparkle Foundation. So she's going to give us a few more details about the different ways in which she's been doing fundraising and the work of that foundation in in Malawi. Uh, I'm really interested to hear that you have uh, people not only contributing their items completely for free, but also their time. Mm -hmm. How did that community grow? Again, very organically. Uh, Thrift for Good started when I was working for Golf for Good, the nonprofit we're doing this for. And every day people would call up saying, we want to give our clothing, we want to donate our time. But of course, we didn't have the capacity. But on the weekends, we started doing this informally at flea markets, selling, and it just grew. Like People really, really are hungry to give their time 
and energy what, and resources what, what here. What drives these people? What drives you, Jennifer? I mean, I know, I know, doing good is something that's that, that that's a good driver for people. But what drives you on a weekend to wake up early and put your energy into this and put your mind into this? Uh, and, and not only you. I mean, all all your team. Uh, if they're working, you know, if they're working without anything in return, uh, obviously there's something that's driving them there. And I don't want to go to the cliche answer of yeah, it feels good to help people mm-hmm. out. What is what is the true driver that that, that drives you? So it is, it is the kids, it's the mission, but I think it's the community more than anything else. When you walk into our stores, you really feel something special. There's a community feel between our customers, our donors, our volunteers. Um, yeah, and it's a really special place. Yeah. Fair I'm, enough. I'm really interested to know how you got into uh, this sort of uh, setup because Dubai mm-hmm. isn't a natural place for people to come to set up a charity, for example. You know, people <laughs> usually come here to make their fortunes. Have you always worked in philanthropy or did you slightly stumble into it? So I was really lucky. I started fundraising when I was 13 years old, and then it just became my career. It became my passion. It's what I've been doing for as long as I can remember. Wow. Um, Do you think you'll ever take your experience to work in the the for-profit sector? Uh, you never, I, because because obviously you must have learned so much about community building and uh, management and uh, I mean ultimately fundraising. Yeah. But it could work very well in the for profit sector as well. I hope. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not I sure, Georgia, that she'd, she'd be great at raising uh, multi millions for a hedge fund. It's not exactly the same. Is it not uh, the same? Not exactly the same, it's the same skills. mission. It's very similar <laughs> skills, but certainly not the same mission. Well, that's my, true. <laughs> my master's is in, is in philanthropy and nonprofit leadership. There you go. And after doing this there for more than you know twenty years, I think if I can contribute to the nonprofit sector, I'd love to stay in it. It's something so meaningful to wake up in the morning and know you're doing something good. I think that's fantastic. I think we need more people like you in the world, not like Georgia. I know. I'm just like, but don't you want to be rich? (laughs) There's more important things than money. (laughs) There are. There are indeed more important things than money. It's just so different. So normally when starting up, we're speaking to people, they're coming in and they might be like, oh, yeah, we do a little bit of CSR on the side. And you're like, yeah, litter picking at the weekend, that kind of thing. But you're so wholeheartedly in it that it's just a slightly different... Uh, yeah. mindset for the for the program. I mean, it's amazing that yep. you've gone down that route. What's your plans? If you're not going to make millions, what's the what's the next plan for the future? <laughs> Are you going to be, uh, do you want to open more shops? It sounds like there's scope for more uh, secondhand sales, effectively. Yeah, we desperately need this concept in Dubai. Uh, what's I hap- agree. Yeah. I agree. Not enough thrift shops here. Yeah. 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 And I think uh, we want to we wanna compete with fast fashion. We want to turn the fashion industry on its, on its head. And the only way we can do that is by being accessible, by I having a shop that. in I every love community. A good challenge. I love that. She, her eyes lighten up when she said, we want to turn the fashion industry up on its head. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant. I have to say, I buy a lot of things secondhand, so I'm a massive fan of the industry as well. Uh, so uh, up next, are you going to be doing another shop maybe? Yes. So we're thinking next year. We're catching up with ourselves a little bit this year, but next year, definitely. And if people want to contribute, uh, where can they drop clothes off? Yeah, in either one of our stores, seven days a week, 10 a.m. to 10 a.m. We also have a free collection service from home sponsored by Shift Courier. So you can go onto our website and just fill in a form. Fantastic. Good Jennifer, stuff. on behalf of everybody, I want to say thank you very much. We need more people like you in this world. We need more people like you in our communities. Uh, and we don't have enough. We never we have don't. enough. Thank yep. you so much. And, and uh, you know, uh, best of luck to you. And you have our full support. Keep on doing the good deed. 
Thank it's you. been a pleasure to have you on the show, Jennifer Salt there, the founder of Thrift for Good. Make sure you check out her stores. This is Starting Up on the Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. With VirtuZone, business setup with no regrets. Today, our focus is on charity startups right here in the UAE who are making their mark uh, both in the Emirates and abroad. And I'm joined in the studio by the CEO and founder of a charity dedicated to helping communities in Malawi. It's my great pleasure to welcome Sarah Brooke from the Sparkle Foundation into the studio again. Sarah, how are you? Can't complain. Thank you. Nice to be back. It's lovely to have you back. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, tell us a little bit about the Sparkle Foundation. We got a little bit of a hint of it just before uh, from uh, from Sarah from uh, Thrift. From, sorry, from Jennifer from Thrift for Good. Uh, but just give me a little bit of an outline of how how Sparkle works. A little bit. That's quite a tricky question. For me, <laughs> but um, uh, Malawi. It's a very personal story. But in a nutshell. I ended up in Malawi at 18 and had a life-saving moment where I was, people prioritised um, their own lives to have me saved. And I think when something like that happens, it inevitably changes your entire life forever. Um, and truthfully, it was down to the colour of my skin that I was prioritised. And I got to have surgery before anyone else because people sacrifice themselves and their children so that I could be seen by the only doctor. So when a moment like that happens in your life, it puts so much things into perspective. So... I made a commitment there and then that I would make a difference to at least one child's life in Malawi. Um, Fast forward 14 years and here I am. Uh, We just reached 15,000 lives in March in Malawi. Uh, We've created a holistic approach to charity grassroots, which has got four main pillars, medical, education, nutrition and community. And we are now creating a sustainable charity model that really has huge impact and is a platform, I suppose, here in the UAE for people who really want to make a difference to be able to get involved. Um, Our focus is children, um, vulnerable children, but we're looking at the big picture. Uh, There's a very common saying, you know, it takes a village to raise a child and that's at the heart of our mentality. And we're now replicating across Africa. So um, it's a journey, let's put it that way, but I'm very privileged to be able to share that journey with so many people here in the UAE who want to be a part of it. And it's growing fast, isn't it? Because you started with the idea of just teaching children and then you quickly realised that that wasn't enough, that you couldn't just do classrooms. You needed to do community. Yeah, I mean, the easier way, if there is an easier way of charity, is to just focus on one main pillar. Um, We went for four. Um, (laughs) Main reason being by 10 o'clock, our children were falling asleep and that was because they were hungry. Mm -hmm. Um, So we brought in the feeding programme. And then the sad reality, we were losing a child a month from something simple as diarrhoea. And we're like, actually, there's no point educating and feeding our children if they're going to die anyway. So that's why I brought the medical program in. And then the final missing piece, so to speak, of the jigsaw was our attendance was 50, 60%. And we're thinking, why is that? And then we spoke to the parents and realised the parents didn't value education because they'd never been to school themselves. So like, okay, let's get the teachers in and I'll and get the parents with the teachers. And I'll never forget parents coming to equivalent of a nursery school for the first day and just seeing the toys and they just couldn't believe it. And that's like grown adults. I was like, okay. And then our attendance changed because they realised what opportunity their children had. Wow, how big is your team now? Uh, so we've got 40 in Malawi. We've got 10 across the UK and the UAE. Wow. And we've got 200 volunteers around the world. Wow, that's fantastic. How often do you go there? Um, I'm three months a year at the moment in Malawi. I mean, Wow, that, that much, huh? Yeah, I'm just about to go next week uh, for the rest of the year. Uh, for me, you know, I'm sitting at a computer desk or going out and speaking about it, but being on the ground and seeing the children face to face, it's what really reminds me of the why. 
It's fantastic. I mean, you know, we live, so we live we, sometimes we live in such a bubble, don't we? I we mean, definitely do. Uh, yeah. You know, the story of the children falling asleep at 10 because they're, they're, they're not fed well or they're, they're you know, malnut- malnutrition. I mean, it's just, it's, just a, it's just a terrible thing. And it's good to have these conversations. And we, I think we should have more of these conversations to realize, one, how lucky we are to live the way we live, us who are always complaining, especially you, Georgia. <laughs> to, <laughs> well, where to, is my coffee? <laughs> to, to, to realize how much change we can do with very little and how much we can, you know, with, with as little as 100 or 200 or 300 dirhams a month, we can, we can change people's lives, we can change communities' lives, we can change countries', countries directions forever. And, you know, you know speaking to Sarah, this, this, this actually brings this to the forefront that, hey, with just a little, you can do so much. And these people, people like Sarah and, and, and Jen, are putting, you know, putting all their efforts into this, and they're yeah. putting, you know, their lives are 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 geared towards towards making change, making good change. First of all, congratulations on, on that. And second, I think that we need us, and especially the most fortunate of us, to be very aware of that and to be to start helping these people uh, at least financially. If we if we don't have the time to donate, at least to donate financially uh, to make a change in the world. It's important, yeah. I think, Georgia. You know, we we live in a very selfish world, and I think it's important to make a change. I'm not being hypocritical about it. I really yeah. I really do think that we should do more, and I don't think we have the opportunity to do more. We're not we're not we're not uh, we're not uh, approached to do more, and you know, it's 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 down to each one to do uh, to do his homework. I'm, I'm I mean, one of the things that George mentioned a little bit earlier, Sarah, is how difficult it is to set up a charity here in the UAE. There are very um, careful restrictions to make sure that people don't get defrauded, for example. Did you find it tricky to get your license? (laughs) Tricky is an understatement. Um, (laughs) Three times tried to register. And I understand, don't get me wrong, why they put such measures in place, because there's a lot of challenges, especially in the sector. And I've seen it firsthand with some of the corruption that I've seen over the years. So I get it. Um, what it does mean, though, for a small charity like Sparkle um, to register here in the UAE, you have to be able to prove that you're going to be able to sustain yourself um, and you're going to have to bring people and really create a movement. So when we registered and we managed to do it um, literally through the grit of our teeth, we said we're going to make a commitment that this will change things in the UAE. And that's a huge responsibility for me to say that. Um, and we just had our gala dinner a couple of weeks ago and um, the people we registered with, IHC, came to visit and the guy just looked at me and said, no, wow, no, this is. And, and that's always been my vision. You know, this is not just an exactly what George is saying. People don't have the opportunity. Yes, it's Malawi. And I know that Malawi is not necessarily a country of interest to everybody, but we are replicating our model across Africa and hopefully who knows where. But it's the opportunity to help. And that's where we are. Uh, Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the programme. Thank you very much for coming in and to, uh, to raise awareness about your, your work there with the Sparkle Foundation. Just a quick one, Sarah. If somebody, if people want to donate or if they want to support you, where should they go and what should they do? Head to our website, sparklemalawi.org. Perfect, thank you. Fantastic, thank you very much indeed. You're listening to Starting Up on the Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. With VirtuZone, business set up with no regrets. Hello there, welcome back to the programme. It is Starting Up. It is our weekly special programme for business owners and prospective entrepreneurs. And it's time for our inspirational section of the programme. Uh, needless to say, I'm, I've kept George Hajaj, the CEO of VirtuZone in, in the studio, so he can add a sort of bit business angle to some of my questioning. Uh, But we're also joined by our startup success story, who is Peter Heredia. He's the managing director of Max Sales Solutions, which has now been running for 14 years, no less. Peter, how are you? I'm going to ask you to come super close to the microphone uh, because they like it that way. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on today. 
It's a pleasure to have you. And tell me a little bit about what Max Sales Solutions does. So um, the company uh, helps business leaders increase revenue and profit by developing their sales teams running three to six month programs. It's like a combination between sales training and consultancy, but with sales training, there's little follow up and does the um, does the change happen? And with consultancy, a lot of the time, salespeople don't buy into it. So getting sales, running workshops to get salespeople to realize what they should be doing is really what our focus is. Full disclosure, Peter does train our team. So, ah. so you know, it's it's very it's very difficult when you think you're the best and you're 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 as 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 as. Uh, as you think good, you're already good, the best as, salesperson. As, good as we think we are, you know, it's very difficult to accept to get a consultant in to actually make our people better. But it actually does make a big difference. And as he's saying, the, the you know the, the very important thing that he's saying it's it's not a training, it's a workshop, right? So just follow up. You you look at the results, you analyze the results, and he's he's continuously following up with our teams. Um, he works very closely with Paul Bryson, who's our, who's our, who was he on your show last week? Yes. Who's our who's our uh, group uh, commercial director? And I think they've been doing a fantastic job together. Peter's been doing has been with us what for four four years now, maybe yeah, maybe four years. Four years, yeah. and it's continuous program. It's not it's not something just hit and run. So you teach. The- the Virtue Zone team how to sell. Is it the same technique, whatever you're selling? Could it be business licenses or suites? It's business to business. And rather than maybe teach, I'd like through workshops, you get the people to come to their own conclusions. Salespeople, they normally know what they're doing. And to change their approach, they probably need to realize it themselves rather than be told. And uh, and that's a big part of. Gosh, the... that speaks to the personality of salespeople quite a lot. You have to sort of take that quite psychological. It's true. <clears throat> you know, every salesperson, uh, first of all, in order to be a good salesperson, has to have a lot of self confidence. To have a to have a, a lot of self confidence, it's it's a very thin line between self confidence and arrogance, right? And uh, so, no matter how good you are, there are some rules, there are some techniques, there are a base that you need to follow. And I think Peter is there to remind us of that base, to remind us of that discipline, if you want, or to remind us of uh, steps that you have to go through as a salesperson and throughout a sale. And we often forget that as, as salespeople because we do a lot of, we wing a lot of things, we do a lot of things on a whim, and, and it's part of a salesperson's personality. So, so what is the secret of? your <clears throat> workshops what is it that you teach people that maybe is different to other sales techniques so um a big part of it is to get the guys to come to their conclusion so i'll do an analysis i'll work out what improvements can be made the improvements there's no rocket science everybody needs to focus more on the fundamentals and i think people miss that so so often and then um, to get them to realize it. But then not only when they make commitments, even though it's their own realization, they don't always apply it. They go back, they're busy, and they don't get around to doing that. So just staying in touch with people remotely and then coming back in and having the coaching sessions, making it become a habit, making sure everything is linked to increasing revenue. That's, I think, the biggest difference. Are you the only teacher or do you have a team? You're not going to like the word teacher. Are you the only workshop leader? <laughs> I, I, I am, yes. I'm, I'm the only consultant, facilitator, coach, teacher. I, I, absolutely, all, all of those, yes. So um, 
I, I, I smile every time I walk into Virtue Zone because um, it's myself and a support person and I see Virtue Zone started a year after I started and I walk into this most amazing office that's got lots of people. <laughs> How many have you got now? 146 now. Whoa. Yeah. So I, I, and I smile to myself because then I realize when people start a business up, there's two different types of people. I'm very happy, very content. And then you get the out and out entrepreneurs like the um, like everybody from Virtue Zone. And I've met so many um, over the years as well. And it's truly incredible. Uh, and I'll be very honest with you. When, when, when they first brought Peter in and said, you know, this is a sales training, you know, because you know, they're going to they tell you it's a sales training guy. And you look at him and say, you know, I don't need a sales training guy. I'm the best sales guy there ever is. I'll train everybody. And then the guys start talking to you and, you know, and no, listen, George, it's not the same. It's, it's a different approach. It's a long-term approach rather than a, a seminar or something like that. And to be honest, I gave in. And I'm so glad that I gave in because Peter has been tremendous with our team over the years. And, and you know, I could tell you that, I mean, not thanks to Peter, but with the help of Peter, we've grown our revenue in the last four years about about four times what it used to be. So it's it's huge. So you're clearly very good at what you do, but it's but you're an individual business. You are the business. How do you manage that brand? Like how do you manage your confidence, I suppose? Do you ever do you ever question yourself when you're about to stand up in front of twenty arrogant salespeople who are like, we know it all already? Always. I always have that little bit of nervousness whenever I work with a new company, and I think it's extremely healthy. Um, I, I, I am, uh, I think the confidence grows within a few minutes, um, within, definitely within the first hour. Uh, but I like being a little bit nervous and not, you know, George said something earlier, which was which was great. The, the, the fine line between confidence and arrogance. And I think if you approach every client with the arrogance that you know exactly what they need to do, where they need to improve. But you've got that safety net when you're running workshops, getting them to come to the conclusions. You've got the safety net that you're not just um, telling them what to do. And you're realizing whether you're right with your analysis, that it is what they where they need to focus. So I've got one more minute with you. And I always ask at this stage of the of the sort of the startup success story, you know, what's next? You know, are you going to open another store, another hotel, another metaverse? You know, uh, but, but with you, it's it's you as an individual. So it's is it harder to accelerate? Is it harder to build from yeah. your platform? Um, I, you know, it's it's about the building. It's more about the focus. Like, so I'm, I'm so much more focused now on engaging salespeople with CRMs because the CRMs give amazing visibility. And What's it a CRM? Um, customer relationship management tool. Okay, um, that's cool. a, yeah. And, uh, and also I have a book being published. Um, it's coming up now and it's called The Straw That Fixed the Camel's Back. And it's all about sales fundamentals. It's all about doing all of the basics. One, one thing might make you successful, but if you didn't get all the other things right, um, that one wouldn't have made you successful. So it's a book about doing all of the things we overlook every day and staying focused on that. Interesting stuff. Thank you so much for Thank coming you. in. An absolute pleasure to have you in the studio. Uh, Peter, Peter Heredia, I think I've, am I saying your surname wrong? Peter? It's perfect. Uh, really? It's perfect. Okay. Peter Heredia, Managing Director of Max Sales Solutions. You heard my uh, questioning in my own head there. I'm, I'm terrible at names. To be a radio <laughs> presenter and to be terrible need, at you names. You need a bit more self-confidence I and need, you can have a little session with I Peter need, for that. I just need to build up. There's that voice inside my head that says, you're going to get it wrong. You're going to get it wrong and everyone's going to know. You're perfect, George. You can't you say names. You are perfect. You shouldn't be on the radio. You can't say names. <laughs> That's what everyone's thinking. Peter, genuinely, thank you very much for coming in. Fantastic, inspirational story there. This is Starting Up on the Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Virtuzone, business setup.
with no regrets. Welcome back to the programme, 11.58. My goodness, we're going to have to run through these questions quickly. George Hajaj in the studio, CEO of VirtuZone, the man who knows everything you need to know about setting up a business. Uh, thank you very much indeed to Amma, who's got in touch, saying, startup question, how do I connect with experienced startup mentors or incubators to discuss my idea? It's a very interesting question, not very straightforward answer, unfortunately. Um, there are a lot of incubators out there. We're not incubators, but there are a lot of incubators out there. But that's probably the longer route because they have to evaluate you, like you, and then get you on board. Start with your friends. Start with your family. Start with the businessmen that you know that have been successful. Exchange ideas with them. You'll be surprised at how many insights they can give you. But definitely start there and um, be curious. Ask a lot of questions. Don't be shy to ask questions. People who, are, who have succeeded at business like it when you ask questions. It's they, true. You know, they, you think that they, 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 you're bothering them, but they would actually like it because they get to share that experience so uh, start with friends and family that's always the best way yeah and you can learn down as well as learn up you know Absolutely. If somebody always always yeah. uh, okay uh, Imran's got in touch saying how much does it cost to set up a really simple business again it's it varies it can go anywhere from 5,500 dirhams in the northern emirates to 12,500 dirhams in Dubai um, in the free zones obviously um, depending where you want to set up that that's the price range in general okay so it's a lot cheaper in the northern emirates why would you choose Dubai over the Northern Emirates? It, it all depends on the type of business you want, on where you want to have your office, who you're going to be dealing with. Depending on all that, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to decide on whether it's Dubai or the Northern Emirates. Uh, you know, many times when you're dealing with, uh, with, 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 uh, with local, uh, local uh, Dubai entities, you're going to need a Dubai license. If you're going to rent an office in Dubai, you're going to need a Dubai license. So there's a lot of questions to be asked before you answer that question straightforward. It's not just about the cheapest. No, but, but, but the bottom line is you can start a company today between 5,500 and 12,000 500 dirhams but for license that's for the license only and you always have costs on top beware all these ads that you see you know there's always costs on top of what what you're trying to open uh, so speaking to that Tracy's just got in touch saying I'm planning to uh, open a cleaning company I'll be jumping from zero staff to dozens really quickly where should I be looking to establish my business without a doubt that's going to be in a mainland company you don't want to okay. be in a free zone because you're limited in number of visas and so on and you're probably going to need premises and warehouses and, and equipment and so on so that would straightforward would be a mainland uh, company to open. George, as ever, Speedy, Speedy Gonzalez, thank you very much indeed for getting through all of those questions. Georgia, I had missed you and it's been an absolute pleasure to spend an it's hour with you again. really lovely to have you back. Don't leave it so Great long, to be here. please. Great to be here. Don't leave it so long. I'm doing that. next week as well. So oh, there are you? you go. Yeah, okay, well, yeah, there we go. We, we stamped that. We stamped that. Checked it in. George Jage will be returning in, uh, I don't know how many days, 24 <laughs> times seven. Seven days. Seven days at 11 o'clock starting up. We'll be back. 